Hi, this is Cam from the Nerdbook Review, where we strive to broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, Casey and I will be bringing you a grimdark classic, The Steel Remains by Richard K. Morgan. This episode was actually recorded way back at the end of August, the beginning of September, and somehow I just straight up forgot that we recorded it. We went on that little hiatus, and I thought that I had gotten all the episodes that would record it out, and apparently I missed one. Uh, I didn't even notice it until I told someone who was asking for a uh, grimdark novel with a gay protagonist, and I said, hey, you should listen to my episode on The Steel Remains. At which point he told me, hey, I cannot find it anywhere. Well, turns out I hadn't put it out yet. So today you'll get Steel Remains. Uh, Next week there will be, if Katie and I can find a time where both kids are sleeping and or uh, at least the baby's sleeping and our son is entertaining himself for a little while, we will give you Ruin of Kings by Jenny Lyon or Leon, however you pronounce that. Uh, If not, then it will be a couple weeks. I was going to do an interview today um, where I have unfortunately canceled several times. This time the author had to uh, cancel. So if we are able to get that episode recorded this week, you'll have an episode next week. If not, it will be two weeks before we get an episode out. So just to let you know, let me give you a quick spiel of where you can reach us and then we'll get right to the episode. You can reach us via email at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, on Facebook at our Nerdbook Review Facebook page, or via Twitter with the handle Nerdbook Review. Just Google Nerdbook Review and you will find us. Uh, it has been a while since we've had any ratings or reviews on iTunes, and our membership has, surprisingly, with all these hiatuses, gone up quite a bit. Uh, we're, um, we've come close to doubling some of our, our first uh, day and first week listener numbers. So there's a lot of you that um, listen, at least occasionally, who if you haven't left a rating or review, I would greatly appreciate it. So we can continue growing these numbers and always, uh, you know, keep this podcast going. Once again, I thank you for everyone who is listening. And we will get you an episode with Casey. I guess real quick, I should say for those of you who do not know Casey, for those newer listeners, because he hasn't been on in a while, Casey and I have been friends since we were in about middle school. Uh, We went to college together. We were fraternity brothers together, and we still uh, live in the same town and uh, are friends when we get a chance to hang out, and we do episodes um, on the podcast together. I think Casey's last podcast episode was in the fall, so hopefully you guys enjoy listening to Casey. Alrighty then, after that, let's get right to the show. Thank you. Hi, I'm Cam. I'm Casey. And this is the Nerdbrook Review. Today, we will be reviewing The Steel Remains, which I apparently did not <laughs> did not put on there. Didn't put any of the info. No. Cameron has a nice outline and just left all the information off of it. So, All right. So, The Steel Remains is the first book in the A Land Fit for Heroes series. It's a trilogy. Why are you looking at me? I don't know. <laughs> It is 391 pages long. It was published in 2009 by Golans. And the author, Richard K. Morgan, is probably most famous for the Altered Carbon series, uh, which is an Amazon... No, no, that's a Netflix. I keep thinking of the other one that's not by him, but it's a sci-fi one. Anyways, it's on Amazon. 
Anyways, uh, Richard K. Morgan is, like I said, probably most famous for his Altered Carbon series, which is on Netflix. Oh, uh, that's not the Altered... Oh, the the TV series? Yeah, TV series. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because it was in, I think, a trilogy, actually. Wasn't it? Books. Yeah, yeah. books first. But it's a, that's a sci-fi series, hmm. right? I don't know. Anyways, I haven't watched it, so... I haven't either. Anywho, uh, this is a series, the... Uh, a Land Fit for Heroes trilogy is kind of considered one of the seminal works of the grimdark genre, something I was unaware of until I started reading about that, and which is actually the reason why Casey chose it. That is true. Yeah. I, after we did a replay, or after I read it, I was kind of in the mood for uh, some more sword and board and sorcery and all that good stuff, so I looked up... Um, uh, just like a top 10 list or something and this this one was on it and the library i was at had it so it all there you are all my stars lined up very good uh normally i would ask the guest to read the uh goodreads blurb but i'm not sure if casey is feeling quite up to it today with his cold uh, some i'm going to leave that uh that in there just to show exactly <laughs> how yeah, you I'll, feel i was gonna say um Cameron can be pretty handy with the edit button, but I might still get a few coughs in. So either I'm coughing or he's strangling me. It's yes. one of those. Yeah, uh, I had a cold last week. Katie just got o- is getting over one, and uh, apparently cold bug is going around in this area. School did just start, so. Yeah. All right. The Goodreads blurb. I haven't done one of these in a long time. A dark lord will rise. Such is the prophecy that dogs Ringil Eskayath, Gil for short, a washed-up mercenary and one-time war hero whose cynicism is surpassed only by the speed of his sword. Gil is estranged from his aristocratic family, but when his mother enlists his help in freeing a cousin sold into slavery, Gil sets out to track her down. But it soon becomes apparent that more is at stake than the fate of one young woman. Grim sorceries are awakening in the land. Some speak in whispers of the return of the Aldrain, a race of widely feared, cruel, yet beautiful demons. Now Gil and two old comrades are all that stand in the way of a prophecy whose fulfillment will drown an entire world in blood. But with heroes like these, the cure is likely to be worse than the disease. How about I do your take then? Alrighty, Casey's going to do my take. A mentally washed up war hero nobleman who loves dudes in a world that appreciates homosexuality about as much as an evangelical preacher is called back from a semi-self-imposed exile to help find a missing family member and is drawn into a plot that threatens humanity itself. Good job, Casey. I really like your take. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought it was a, a little much, but you know. Hey, man. You know, it fits though. I don't know. Those evangelical preachers, a lot of times they they get found out that they've been doing math and like hiring male hookers. Oh, yeah. But I mean, outwardly, you know, when they're uh, when they're preaching about the uh, the sins of the homosexuals pushing their liberal homosexual agenda, you know, that's kind of the vibe I got feeling here. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yep. So anyways, uh, this is quite the book. Um I really love the world building, and it is a pretty classic epic fantasy series in terms of uh, like the style. Uh, Grimdark, as we said, um, 
and I like one thing I like, and I like this in um, in books just in general is when if you have gods that they're actually there. For some reason, I really like that. I, I, I think that was one of the things that made me the happiest about the Malazan series was having that. And this was kind of one thing I got like a little bit of a vibe of not being nearly so crazy epic in scale as Malazan. But but you get lots of different races, different planes of existence, gods that are, you know, active. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, completely agree. I, I find that very cool. It's also in the next book that we might do on the podcast that I'm reading. They are literally walking around and you you can kill them. It's just very unlikely. Yeah. That's one thing I, I liked with N.K. Jemison with her uh, first series that I read from her and I cannot remember what it was called now, but there's like hundreds of gods that walk the earth or, you know, whatever world that they happen to be a part of. This is clearly not Earth. It's a, a made-up land. Um, our main character... There will be three point-of-view characters. Right? Just three? Yeah. Um, That's all I remember. Yeah. Trying to see. I wrote them down. Okay. So, Gil, as we already mentioned, he was a war hero, basically, like, single-handedly <laughs> stood the line against what were called the lizard folk or the scaled folk. Did they call them lizard folk or the scaled folk? I think both. Lizard. Yeah, lizard-like scaled folk. There we are. I wrote it down. I promise I wrote a real outline down and actually read <laughs> this book and enjoyed it quite quite a bit. But um, anyway, so... So uh, when the book starts out, um, kind of building off of what Cameron was saying, uh, Gil is in Gallows Gap, which is like uh, barely a town. But it's also the place where he held the line, as Cameron was talking about, against the uh, lizard folk. And uh, so we find him living in this very small town, uh, living in an inn. Uh, his sword is hung up over the mantle. And, you know, he, he'll he tell stories from the war for... Uh, room and board, basically. Well, room and board, and yeah, tips and ale. and Yep. And... Uh, he, as I mentioned, is gay, and he's unabashedly gay in a world that really doesn't appreciate it. They have uh, a religion where um, at one point, like throughout the series of flashbacks, we'll see that like his lover, um, when he was a, a youth, um, actually gets uh, put on the stake because of it, and Gil doesn't go to the stake because he is... He didn't go on the stake. He went in the cage. Yeah, but then they put a stake through you. Well, I think it's part of the cage. Yeah, but they slowly r raise the stake, though, just like they do, because they talk about how, at one point where a really good uh, torturer can manage to make it take like three days before you get punctured all the way by the stake. Oh, I thought it was just you stay alive, alive for like three days. Yeah, I think they do, but I mean, I think that like, I, I remember at one point them talking about them <laughs> actually turning the screw to raise the stake. Oh, I I don't know. I had a me different mental image of what the thing was. Yeah. What the thing was. <laughs> what the uh, torture tool torture was? Torture and execution tool. Yeah. But anyway, so... And, and Gil Hold on, I want to interrupt you for a yep, second. Yep, fair enough. Just because I want to read off of Cameron's outline, because <laughs> it's amusing. He's, he's such a subtle writer. <laughs> Our thoughts on the book itself. Might as well get the big thing out of the way and say, yep, Gil is gay. He loves having sex with dudes, and it plays a big part of who he is as a person and why he's in the situation he's in. 
I just thought that was really <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, anyways, these are my uh, just the notes to. Uh, it's like you know. a prose poem. <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, generally I only talk about that as I like to say, "Hey, it's cool." Like you know, they have a gay character and it's no big deal. But this case, it's a real big deal. And yeah, like his dad pretty much just disowned him. Yeah. Uh, just because he's gay. Yeah. And later on when Gil's uh, living at home again for a little bit, um, it's pretty icy between him and his dad. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, basically if he wasn't a nobleman and a war hero, then he would have been killed because of being gay. But uh, it is, you know, one of those things where if you are pow- rich and powerful, then you get away with a little bit more than uh, than otherwise. And I think that even kind of makes it in tones that, like, if he was a little quieter about being gay, that he probably would be okay, you know? But his problem is, is that he's just unabashedly gay. Yeah, I mean, it, it talks about how he was really um, kind of the hope for his family. His His older brother is a lot like their dad, but he's, like, very shrewd and calculating, whereas... Um, Gil was, you know, really the hero of the people and probably would have been next up in line, even though he had an older brother, but because he's gay, he was just never given the opportunities that his uh, yeah, siblings and he, were. And he would, and he wasn't willing to be quiet about it either. Right. And so, um, so that, you know, that's kind of why he's down and out on his luck when we, uh, when the book starts, he's also def- clearly has some PTSD issues. Um, yeah. as a result of it. And you know what? Most of the people in the book do. I think that's one thing that I really enjoyed about the novel is that uh, all these characters are a little bit broken because of all the killing they've done. And I think that that's something that makes me like the grimdark genre is as a general rule, it's more real to me in that people are affected by the things they've done. Uh, I talked to uh, an uh, one of the authors um, of the uh, Orconomics, Zachary Pike, and I th- his episode will come out in a week after this. Orconomics? Yeah, it's actually <laughs> really good. I really liked it. Oh, but man. yeah, um, and but he, he, you know, he has a, a washed-up character too, and he's like, well, you know, I basically thought that I hate it when you had these guys that would go through and massacre thousands of people, and they were still like cheery heroes, like it never affected them in the end that they killed all these people, you know. Or even if it did, like, you know, they don't have PTSD or things like that in a lot of, like, the older style fantasy novels. And um, all of these guys that are going to be uh, in that point of views. But getting into point other point of view characters, um, Kiriath. Aren't the Kiriath people? Archith is her name. Oh, you're She's right. a Kiriath. So the Kiriath people, um, there's only one of them that we see. She's half Kiriath. She's, she's black, and the whole race was black. So everyone else must be white, is my guess, if they're... If it's you know noticeable, um, they sort of were seems that way, and also maybe like what we would think of as like Middle Eastern. Yeah, I was thinking more like Mongols for eager. Uh, oh. um, and they uh, no, I meant like people oh. in cities and stuff. oh, I see what you're saying. Maybe, yeah, yeah that's a possibility. Um, so the Kiriath, they were they they are very human like, but they weren't human. They traveled in ships that were that had like a sentient AI. Basically, they traveled through time. It seems yeah. like yeah. So I wasn't quite sure about this in the world. Was the world like was this maybe could it have been Earth at some point? Like, I wasn't I wasn't sure about that either. Okay, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe later books will tell us. Um, it wasn't something that really bothered me. It was just something I thought about maybe. Uh, then the Dwenda, they're like immortal elf-like. They travel in the like the other the other pathways through uh, that's outside of time easily. They're not immortal. No, you're right. They they age extremely slowly. Yeah, and they don't age at all when they're in their other like their realm, basically, right? Right, because um, it's outside of time. The Duenda, yeah, like Cam just said, they they travel outside of time, so they travel basically in the fourth dimension where they can. Well, yeah, they don't age there. God, I'm just fucking up over and over here. Fair enough. But yeah, they they travel back and forth between like the fourth dimension. So time and space are really no big deal for them. And since they're hanging out in that kind of uh, arena, they, they don't age when they're in there. Yeah. And the backstory is, is that the Dwenda used to uh, be the overlords of the Earth-like planet. And they were overlords of the humans. Then the Kyrieth showed up. And the Duenda use magic, but the Kyrieth use their technology. And the humans and the Kyrieth managed to banish the Duenda and beat them in war. And then the Kyrieth helped the humans beat the lizard folk, who also came from another dimension. And then they, uh, the Kyrieth left. And Archith, who's our one of our point-of-view characters, she gets left because... They don't think that she can survive like traveling through, right? The other places, the way that the curious do, because she's half human. Yeah, because she's half human. And the other thing to mention about uh, these two races, especially the Duenda, is that in this book, these are ancient, ancient peoples. They're legends that everybody knows about them, but they're not talked about or spoken about in a way like. They're an actual part of these people's lives. Um, and so later on when a Duenda shows up, um, most people don't believe it, especially at first, yeah. until they actually see it or have some sort of experience. Yeah. And so um, the three point of view characters, as I said, um, Gil, Ringel, um, the human, then Archeth, she's the half Kyrian. Her point of view, uh, she's at least a couple hundred years old. And uh, she's pretty jaded. She does. She's on a drug, like it's basically like cocaine type of a drug, right? Yeah, and she's under the heel. Uh, do you remember the the king of the empire? I just can't remember right now what the name of it. Yeah, I really liked. Like he's he's such a slime ball in the book, mm-hmm. and the emperor. Yeah, I I don't know why I liked it so much, but it was uh, a lot of tense dialogue between uh i call her in my head she was arketh um okay that sounds good arketh and and the emperor and he's just a very kind of deranged sadistic weirdo yeah i really got that now that you mention it really that ottoman empire like sultan type of a feel to it where they absolutely. like absolutely yeah he has he has a harem he he half the time he seems like he's crazy and incompetent, but then you realize that he is crazy, but he's certainly competent. Like uh, he knows how to play the game. Yeah, like his father, she mentions, he's incredibly shrewd and yeah. uh, very cunning. Yeah. And then our last character who we haven't talked about, he's Egan. He is Egar. Wow. I don't know how I'm Egar the Dragon Bane, right? Or the Dragon yeah. Dragon Dragon Bane. Yeah, he actually managed to kill a dragon by himself. That's where he gets the name Dragon Bane. And it 
there's only a few of them, and a lot of times they're just called Dragon Bane. Like it's a it's an honorific yeah. title. Yeah, and I think he mentions that there's only like a handful of them in the world right now. Yeah. He's he uh he's the head of a clan that's basically like the Mongols. And he doesn't really fit in anymore because he's been part of civilization. Well, yeah, it, it I think pretty explicitly at one point in the book says that he's unlike his clansmen now because he's traveled and it's, in his travels he's uh, he's been exposed to so many more cultures, uh, you know, people who, well, hold on a sec. What am I trying to say here? Well, at one point it seems like he might have been the consort of a noblewoman from the empire. Well, what I meant was like he's been exposed to different religions. He's probably been exposed to maybe some philosophies and stuff. And so when he comes back to his clan, uh, he has this pretty huge uh, altercation with the shaman, who is, you know, the mystic of the clan. Mm-hmm. And he he was really upset, but he also, I, I, I guess from all of his traveling, he, he thought that this uh, was kind of a simple-minded religion and yeah. that everybody was foolish for following it. and Until he finds out they, you know. Well, Finn... Oh, I was going to say finish your thought, but... (laughs) I was trying not to get too spoilery. I know, that's why I didn't say anything. (laughs) But anyway, Igar definitely plays the smallest role in this book as far as like the number of pages he gets. Um, Ringil probably has close to 50% just by himself, I'd guess, huh? Yeah. And then the other two, uh, Arketh is more than Ringil, or than than, uh, Igar. But I I get the feeling that Dragon Bane is going to play a bigger role in book two. I haven't read it. Um, I will be reading this, you know, the next ones when I get a chance. But I, I did get the feeling that he was his role was ramping up, huh? Yeah, uh, I think so. Um, Arketh was kind of an unusual character. She, um, she, she does, I think, have the confidence of that crazed emperor we were talking about. Um, but her role was. Well, like when they went to fetch her for the emperor, mm-hmm. what was she doing in that ship? Did you understand that? Oh yeah, she was trying to get the uh, like the all the AIs that were left. They didn't take with them. They like when the Kyrieth left in their ships. They the ones they left were the ones that had gone crazy traveling through the pathways, and so I felt like she was trying to like fix the you know the mechanical part of the AI and get him to. Like, I think she's always really kind of wanting to go to through the pathways herself. And yeah, that, trying, would, that would make sense. Trying to find a ship that works that's not too crazy, you know? The Remember the the troops sent to get her were <laughs> completely freaked out because she's inside this uh, landbound ship and there's this bunch of clanging and, like, it sounds like she's using a giant hammer or mallet and just hitting things. Yeah. <laughs> And these ships, you know, scare the 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 soldiers yeah. in general. So, anyways, so there's that, and then the other part of her character uh, was really to serve as um, a scout for the emperor. Yeah, kind of like a special forces type of a yeah, you know, character. I mean, she's a couple hundred years old. She's clearly super competent, um, a great fighter, smart. Um, oh, and. Uh, as an aside, just because it fits in, 
I don't know if it explicitly says, but she's a lesbian. Oh no, I think that it's pretty. I think that like, and her and the emperor have a real, uh, like, something real creepy that's going on where he like sends a woman to her bed. That, that that he's already had. Yeah, that was like a concubine of his that he makes her like watch basically him yeah. have sex with. Total power trip. Yeah, total power trip. And then he sends her there and she's like, Hey, the religion for explicitly forbids this and he's and the emperor's like, Oh yeah, but we know you don't care, you know, type of a thing. Yeah. And you know it's funny too, cause like she does a lot of things that 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 are clearly flaunting the the real like the it's basically like the catholic church if you will you know that level of power during the inquisition type of a period and but she kind of flaunts that quite a bit and you kind of wonder if because she's half curious she gets away with it i mean she will take a step too far and have to be like exiled basically but she's or just sent out of the way for a while but even still you get the feeling if she wasn't who she was it wouldn't have mattered who she was she would have been killed you know if she wasn't like that half curious yeah, and maybe this didn't happen, but I kind of thought the emperor at, at least very strongly implied that at one point. Yeah, I think I don't know. I yeah, I don't remember it ever being like explicit, but it probably was implied. You know, like along that whole one before when he was going to send the girl to her room or to her apartments. But so you know what? There is just a there's a lot going on um, in this novel. Uh, it's funny, a lot of the negative reviews I read were either, oh, you know, you get the uh, first off, oh my god, there's, he's gay, and there's, and he has sex with men in the book, which does happen, and so you get those one-star reviews, and then you get the other, I saw some other ones that were like, well, he uses, the, he, he calls him uh, derogatory terms, you know, but, but Gil uses it himself. Like, you know, kind of in the same way that a lot of minorities will use, you know, terms that you don't they want. take other, it back. You take it back. Whatever word or phrase might be to, yes, to describe Yes, I'm not it. going to use the word. Um, I don't approve of it myself. So, uh, but... It's the F word for yes, homosexual for, people. Yes. So, clearly, um, he. I didn't feel like... I didn't have an issue with that either. Did you? No, I didn't. Because most of the people that are using, like, Gil uses it as, like, a, you know, like, to throw it in other people's faces. And then, like, his buddies, like, Eager will use it, but he clearly doesn't care. I mean, no, it's it, almost like a joke between them. The only, like, judgment, really, I, for uh, that part of his life that I remember is it, mostly his family or... Yeah other aristocrats or whatever yeah or or like the churchmen and things like that but it's not like you know not the people that gil used to lead like they don't care no and so i don't know i just i didn't feel i didn't see that those were most of the one star reviews i saw of this were because there's a lot i mean this is a pretty popular book it's got thou i mean like tens of thousands of reviews yeah when i when i looked it up and was looking at a few reviews which i don't usually do because I don't value most people's opinions. Um, all of the ones I saw were complaining that Gil was sort of like a one note character and like all he does is kill and he's full of anger. But um, the way I took that went back to, to what you said earlier about the PTSD and sort of the real human effects that people would be experiencing in these like horrific battles and wars. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they definitely affected him, and they kind of messed him up in some ways. And, uh, but I think that he he even acknowledges a little bit that it messed him up, you know, yeah. and that like I don't think he feels like he wants to be a killer, but that's just what he's good at. And 
Well, the last thing he wants to do is help his family. Yeah. And that's what gets him back in the into in, into the whole uh, yeah blood business blood business, but yeah and, and going you know when I mentioned that I looked at the reviews I always wait till after I finish and then I and then I look, look at a whole bunch of reviews because I kind of like to look and see like maybe what I what did I miss maybe yeah no, oh I I wasn't looking at professional reviews I was looking at like people off the street reviews oh yeah no, I mean that's generally what I I was doing too but I like to oh. look like I feel like sometimes you can see a big arc if there's like. 20 people that like that gave a one star review for one reason then then you know then i'll look and say okay well most of the one star reviews i got were people that were like that that clearly had an issue with his homosexuality or had or on the other side who had a problem with certain words that were used because of him being gay and i was just saying that like i don't think that uh that either one of those are valid reasons it wasn't like he was trying to I didn't feel like he was being sensational um yeah I don't think so either it did strike an odd chord with me like the first time I read one of those words I was like whoa like because it is like it's a buzzword Mm -hmm. kind of now yeah and it has some definitely has some power behind it um but I think he was using what was it it was he didn't use it about himself but then pretty soon after he does and you realize oh like i don't know yeah (laughs) he's gay so i guess he can call himself whatever he wants yeah and i just i like i said i just didn't i didn't see the the issue with it the way that a lot of the people you know the reviews that i I mean that's just me i mean uh a a straight white guy here so i guess i (laughs) you know but i just am saying that i didn't see that i don't know and i was asking you and you said you didn't really either no. Casey, what did you think about the the book? Like did, how, did you like it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um I think part of the reason was it was the next book book after replay and um like I said I, I kind of felt like a, a grim dark book. Um it's kind of what this this podcast is has kind of become. Right. And yeah. I felt a little iffy with replay because it's so different than what we've been doing. But yeah, you know, I like having a good thing. I don't yeah, know. I think we need to change things up every once in a while, you know? Um and I think that uh I really liked this book a lot, except that it had the uh, an issue that a lot of like What's funny is a lot of older fantasy novels have in that it felt like a setup book in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot happens, but it feels like they're setting up a bigger thing. So there were times where it was slow. Yeah, and um, you can definitely see where uh, some characters like Igar uh, will have a bigger role next time. Yeah. And that would be cool because I really liked him as a character. Yeah. I feel like Egar was probably the character who was the most at ease with who he was still. Yeah. That maybe he wasn't quite so affected by all the killing he had done as as Arketh and uh, Gil were. Like, I think it felt like he was a little more fun, you know, of a character still. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, this is kind of just rushing into it, but I'm going to give this a four instead of a five star because of that, though, feeling like it was a setup book in some ways. And I, I think that... Uh, like the storyline is a five star. Um, the world building is amazing. I like it's awesome. It's definitely five star. But I just felt like there was a lot of lulls. Like I didn't have a problem in certain sections putting it down like I do sometimes, you know. But then there were times though 
where I mean, I might read like when action was going on, I certainly didn't want to put the book down. Yeah, that's how uh, most of the book was for me. Um, since once I picked it up, like, you know, I was staying up past my bedtime for work early in the morning and stuff because it just kept sucking me in. Yeah, and there were sections that certainly did that for me. But then, you know, like I'd hit that, like when they're walking the paths or something like that, you know, like it didn't, I just wasn't quite as, um, and it wasn't that I wasn't into it. It just was that like at times it did feel like a setup book. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of novels these days are getting away from that a little bit. Um, Which uh, <clears throat> I should mention, I didn't even realize it was a setup book until Cameron pointed that out to me. And then I said something to the effect of, well, I feel really stupid now. I didn't even <laughs> notice that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you're like, yeah, there was some lulls, like some spots where it kind of seemed like things happened. But he didn't use any info dumps. He used the old, uh, the old tried and true trope of a journey instead. You know, to like teach the thing, the different things. So I guess you got to do, you got to do it one of two ways. You know, I mean, you have to get the information out there for people if you're going to do true world building. You just have to choose the way you do it. You know. Yeah. And so, anyways, um, did I give it a score? No, you didn't yet. Sorry. I think I would say a 4.5 or 4.75 maybe. I really Ooh. like this book. Like, yeah. And um, I don't know what's going on with me, if it's the cold or what. But I'm sure. Everything I think just... You get that head pressure, you know, and then it just it's like it messes with your uh, like train of thought sometimes. But you really liked the book. Gave it a four point seven five. Oh, and um, this time I'm not gonna give you a read this instead because I thought this was a, a pretty fantastic book. It's a good read. It's fun. It's uh, pretty violent and uh, gory and all that, but it is grim dark. So some of that, at least, is to be expected. Yeah. So yeah, I just feel like I. I think that there's a reason why it's considered one of the like big seminal works in Grimdark. It's definitely a novel that I plan on reading the other two, and now that I'm changing up my format a little bit um, of the podcast, I'm going to really make sure that I'm able to, to actually read the next two. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, even if they weren't a podcast, I'm going to read the next two. I yeah. was, was going to go straight into the sequel, but I got distracted by another book. That'll happen. Anywho... Well, I think we've pretty well talked our way through this book right now. So, Cameron, who is the main audience who should and should not read it? Oh, yeah. This is not for young kids. Eh, probably not, I, I mean, guess. It, it, it clearly wasn't designed for kids. This is not YA. No, um, and actually, after I finished this, I was thinking about it, and I was like, thank God this is, like, grimdark for adults. I don't like grimdark light. No. And so, yeah, it's not really for kids. Although, I mean, it always depends on the kid. Yeah. I could have read this at 10 or 12 and been fine. I'm sure you could have. And some kids, yeah. it's it's too mature for them. So. Yeah. I think at like 14, I would have been just fine reading it. Um, I probably would have been thought it was gross at 14 just because of the world we were living in at 14, you know. Whereas now reading it, I mean, I don't really care for sex scenes in my books, but as I talked about with replay, it doesn't matter that it's whether it's straight or gay. I just don't care for descriptive sex scenes necessarily, you know? Yeah, and it is interesting, though, that only when we were young teenagers at that point to now, 
the you know cultural shift that has happened yeah. where if that had happened when we were kids a book like that came out and you know people found out about it they probably would have been burning it or something yeah because this book is what like eight years old now i think something 2009 like or 2011 one of the two i don't remember anyways so it was past you know we would have that that was even after we'd graduated college so things had shifted an awful lot by that point you know yeah and uh i mean uh yeah, so I mean, like I said, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me now. I but I don't necessarily prefer it, whether it's gay or straight, as I talked about with replay. You know, yeah. Um, the the purpose purposes of sex scenes is also I think uh, should be part of the, the discussion. God, I'm talking like I hi. No, like my tongue is lead. No, probably you've been giving. You've been. Spraying numbing shit on your tongue the entire ep- No, on the back of my throat, so I stopped coughing. Yeah, but I'm sure it got on your tongue, too. It's probably legitimately... <laughs> now I don't remember what the fuck we were talking about. <laughs> that the, the, the sex is something that we should talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. Um, so what I was saying is the sex scenes in this book are a lot different than in, say, Replay. Mm-hmm. Um, they serve a different purpose, where I think most of the sex that happens in this book is to get information um i mean he obviously think about that huh i didn't even think about that but you're right yeah and so you know it it was kind of obviously the tropes on its head that he's interested in men but he's also using it uh using sex to get information which is traditionally more of a female uh character role you know what's funny until you said that right now i never even thought about that but that's absolutely true okay maybe we're even then and i mean it's it's explicitly stated, I think, at some point that he does that, and now I didn't even think about it. Yeah, might have been. Or if it wasn't explicitly stated, it was... It's very strongly implied, like yeah. the next morning after he sleeps with uh, one of the guys that gives him some information, and he comes home and his mom's giving him... Uh, A hard time. Throwing out some barbs about it, but then he's she like, was very interested in the information he got, so... Yeah, there we are. That's actually true. Uh, and something that, uh, like you said, throwing the trope on its head, that it usually it's a, a woman that's implied that she's sleeping with a dude for uh, information. So, Anyways, uh, definitely a novel worth reading if you are a Grimdark fan. Um, there's a reason why it is considered you know, one of the seminal works. It is, uh, has some amazing world building, and... Uh, you know, maybe, like you said, maybe the characters don't aren't quite as rich as they are in some other novels, but I, I do feel like there's a reason given for it and that they're going to grow as the series goes on. Yeah, I would agree. And so the next part here is closing thoughts or parting thoughts, rather. And one of my thoughts I had about this book, um, I think it was also in the in some of the reviews that I disagreed with, which is, I think this book was um, definitely changes some of the tropes, very purposeful. But I also got the feeling that the author was like, I'm going to go all out on this. Like, I'm going to go all out. Like, I'm going to show the sex scenes. I'm going to show the battle scenes. And I'm going to push everything sort of to the limits that has been done in this genre. But anyway... Um, so I thought maybe he was trying to kind of push everything to the extreme, um, and that was one of the themes of the, of the book. Almost, it reminded me—I don't know why—of uh, some John Waters movies. 
Well, he he isn't making movies for the mass general oh, public. God, he's no. making. Like, I don't like anything he's ever done, but I understand. Yeah, yeah, he's making gross out extreme movies for like you know his yeah. his people. His his yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I understand what you're saying. And uh, yeah, maybe he was trying to push the envelope or move the envelope, like you know, to where like yeah, the, that's that's a good way. This of is the kind it. of thing is more you know, like now it's been done, so it can be done again, type of a deal, maybe. But, right. I like moving the envelope. That's good. Yeah. So, Casey, thank you for coming out. Um, while you're sick, uh, we were gonna do this last week, but I was sick. So, uh, bunch of sickos. Bunch of sickos. So hopefully, uh, he's not giving me another round of being sick. I'm staying far away from him. And I'll be, no, I was going to say, actually, you should be the one taking a, a hand sanitizer bath after I leave. <laughs> yes. I All right. Say, I was going to say I would, but it's too late. Well, Casey, I am very excited that uh, I've got you back twice now in the last uh, month after it being a good solid nine months of not being there. All righty. Well, Casey, I hope you feel better. Thanks, buddy.